Chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. Of Catina Aurea, Gospel of St. Luke, Part 1, by St. Thomas Aquinas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Verses 18 through 22. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them, and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be slain, and be raised the third day. Cyril. Our Lord, having retired from the multitude, and being in a place apart, was engaged in prayer, as it is said, and it came to pass as he was alone praying. For he ordained himself as an example of this, instructing his disciples by an easy method of teaching. For I suppose the rulers of the people ought to be superior also in good deeds to those that are under them, ever holding converse with them in all things necessary entreating of those things in which God delights. Bede. Now the disciples were with the Lord, but he alone prayed to the Father, since the saints may be joined to the Lord in the bond of faith and love. But the Son alone is able to penetrate the incomprehensible secrets of the Father's will. Everywhere, when he prays alone, for human wishes comprehend not the counsel of God, nor can anyone be a partaker with Christ of the deep things of God. Cyril. Now his engaging in prayer might perplex his disciples, for they saw him praying like a man, whom before they had seen performing miracles with divine power. In order then to banish all perplexity of this kind, he asks them this question, not because he did not know the reports which they had gathered from without, but that he might rid them of the opinion of the many, and instill into them the true faith. Hence it follows, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? Bede. Rightly does our Lord, when about to inquire into the faith of the disciples, first inquire into the opinion of the multitudes, lest their confession should appear not to be determined by their knowledge, but to be formed by the opinion of the generality, and they should be considered not to believe from experience, but like Herod to be perplexed by different reports which they heard. Augustine. Now it may raise a question that Luke says that our Lord asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I am? At the same time that he was alone praying, and they also were with him. Whereas Mark says that they were asked this question by our Lord on the way. But this is difficult only to him who never prayed on the way. Ambrose. But it is no trifling opinion of the multitude which the disciples mention. When it is added, but they answering said, John the Baptist, whom they knew to be beheaded. But some say Elias, whom they thought would come. But others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. But to make this inquiry belongs to a different kind of wisdom from others. For if it were enough for the Apostle Paul to know nothing about Christ Jesus and him crucified, what more can I desire to know than Christ? Cyril. But mark the subtle skill of the question, for he directs them first to the praises of strangers, that having overthrown these, he might beget in them the right opinion. 
So when the disciples had given the opinion of the people, he asked them their own opinion. As it is added, And he said unto them, Whom say ye that I am? How marked is ye? He excludes them from the other, that they may avoid their opinions. As if he said, Ye who by my decree are called to the apostleship, the witnesses of my miracles, whom do ye say that I am? But Peter anticipated the rest, and becomes the mouthpiece of the whole company, and launching forth into the eloquence of divine love, utters the confession of faith. As it is added, Peter answering said, The Christ of God. He says not merely that he was Christ of God, but now he uses the article. Hence it is in the Greek, ton Christon. For many divinely accounted persons are in diverse ways called Christs. For some were anointed kings, some prophets. But we through Christ have been anointed by the Holy Spirit, have obtained the name of Christ. But there is only one who is the Christ of God and the Father. He alone, as it were, having his own Father who is in heaven. And so Luke agrees indeed in the same opinion as Matthew, who relates Peter to have said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. But speaking briefly, Luke says that Peter answered, The Christ of God. Ambrose. In this one name there is the expression both of his divinity and incarnation, and the belief of his passion. He has, therefore, comprehended everything, having expressed both the nature and the name wherein is all virtue. Cyril. But we must observe that Peter most wisely confessed Christ to be one, against those who presumed to divide Emmanuel into two Christs. For Christ did not inquire of them, saying, Whom do men say the divine word is, but the Son of Man, whom Peter confessed to be the Son of God? Herein then is Peter to be admired, and thought worthy of such chief honor, seeing that him whom he marveled at in our form, he believed to be the Christ of the Father, that is to say, that the word which proceeded from the Father's substance was become man. Ambrose, but our Lord Jesus Christ was at first unwilling to be preached, lest an uproar should arise, as it follows, and he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man anything. For many reasons he commands his disciples to be silent, to deceive the prince of this world, to reject boasting, to teach humility. Christ then would not boast, and dost thou boast who art of ignoble birth. Likewise he did it to prevent rude and as yet imperfect disciples from being oppressed with the wonder of this awful announcement. They are then forbid to preach him as the Son of God, that they might afterwards preach him crucified. Chrysostom. Timely also was our Lord's command that no one should tell that he was Christ, in order that when offenses should be taken away and the sufferings of the cross completed, a proper opinion of him might be firmly rooted in the minds of the hearers. For that which has once taken root and afterwards been torn up, when fresh planted, will scarcely ever be preserved. But that which, when once planted, continues undisturbed, grows up securely. For if Peter was offended merely by what he had heard, what would be the feelings of those many who, after they had heard that he was the Son of God, saw him crucified and spit upon? Cyril, it was the duty then of the disciples to preach him throughout the world. 
for this was the work of those who were chosen by him to the office of the apostleship. But as Holy Scripture bears witness, there is a time for everything, for it was fitting that the cross and resurrection should be accomplished, and then should follow the preaching of the apostles. As it is spoken, saying, The Son of Man needs suffer many things. Ambrose, perhaps because the Lord knew that the disciples would believe even the difficult mystery of the passion and resurrection, he wished to be himself the proclaimer of his own passion and resurrection. Verses 23 through 27. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's, and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Cyril, great and noble leaders, provoke the mighty in arms to deeds of valor, not only by promising them the honors of victory, but by declaring that suffering is in itself glorious. Such we see is the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he had foretold to his disciples that he must needs suffer the accusations of the Jews, be slain, and rise again on the third day, lest then they should think that Christ indeed was to suffer persecution for the life of the world, but that they might lead a soft life. He shows them that they must needs pass through similar struggles, if they desired to obtain his glory. Hence it is said, and he said unto all, Bede, he rightly addressed himself to all, since he treats of the higher things, which relate to the belief in his birth and passion, apart with his disciples. Chrysostom, now the Savior of his great mercy and loving kindness will have no one serve him unwillingly and from constraint, but those only who come of their own accord and are grateful for being allowed to serve him. And so, not by compelling men and putting a yoke upon them, but by persuasion and kindness, he draws unto him everywhere those who are willing, saying, If any man will, etc. Basil, but he has left his own life for an example of blameless conversation to those who are willing to obey him. As he says, come after me, meaning thereby not a following of his body, for that would be impossible to all, since our Lord is in heaven, but a due imitation of his life according to their capacities. Bede, now unless a man renounces himself, he comes not near to him who is above him. It is said, therefore, let him deny himself. Basil, a denial of oneself is indeed a total forgetfulness of things past, and a forsaking of his own will and affection. Origen, a man also denies himself when, by a sufficient alteration of manners or a good conversation, he changes a life of habitual wickedness. He who has long lived in lavishness abandons his lustful self when he becomes chaste, and in like manner a forsaking of any crimes is a denial of oneself. Basil, now a desire of suffering death for Christ, and a mortification of one's members which are upon the earth, and a manful resolution to undergo any danger for Christ, and an indifference towards the present life, 
This it is to take up one's cross. Hence it is added, and let him take up his cross daily. Theophylact. By the cross he speaks of an ignominious death, meaning that if anyone will follow Christ, he must not for his own sake flee from even an ignominious death. Gregory. In two ways also is the cross taken up, either when the body is afflicted through abstinence or the mind touched by sympathy. Greek Expositor. He rightly joins these two. Let him deny himself and let him take up his cross. For as he who is prepared to ascend the cross conceives in his mind the intention of death, and so goes on thinking to have no more part in this life, so he who is willing to follow our Lord ought first to deny himself and so take up his cross, that his will may be ready to endure every calamity. Basil, herein then stands a man's perfection, that he should have his affections hardened, even towards life itself, and have ever about him the answer of death, that he should by no means trust in himself, but perfection takes its beginning from the relinquishment of things foreign to it. Suppose these to be possessions or vainglory or affection for things that profit not. Bede, we are bid then to take up the cross of which we have above spoken, and having taken it to follow our Lord who bore his own cross. Hence it follows, and let him follow me. Origen, he assigns the cause of this when he adds, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. That is, whosoever will, according to the present life, keep his own soul fixed on things of sense, the same shall lose it, never reaching to the bounds of happiness. But on the other hand, he adds, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall save it. That is, whosoever forsakes the things of sense, looking upon truth, and exposes himself to death, as it were, losing his life for Christ, shall the rather save it. If then, it is a blessed thing to save our life with regard to that safety which is in God. There must be also a certain good surrender of life which is made by looking upon Christ. It seems also to me from resemblance to that denying of oneself which has been before spoken of that it becomes us to lose a certain sinful life of ours to take up that which is saved by virtue. Cyril. But that incomparable exercise of the passion of Christ, which surpasses the delights and precious things of the world, is alluded to when he adds, What is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself, or be a castaway? As if he says, When a man, through his looking after the present delights, gains pleasure and refuses indeed to suffer, but chooses to live splendidly in his riches, what advantage will he get then, when he has lost his soul? For the fashion of this world passeth away, and pleasant things depart as a shadow. For the treasures of ungodliness shall not profit, but righteousness snatches a man from death. Gregory, since then the Holy Church has one time of persecution, another time of peace, our Lord has noticed both times in his command to us. For at the time of persecution we must lay down our soul, that is, our life, which he signified, saying, Whosoever shall lose his life. But in time of peace, those things which have the greatest power to subdue us, our earthly desires, must be vanquished, which he signified, saying, What does it profit a man, etc.? Now we commonly despise all fleeting things, 
But still, we are so checked by that feeling of shame so common to man that we are yet unable to express in words the uprightness which we preserve in our hearts. But to this wound the Lord indeed subjoins a subtle application, saying, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. Theophylact, he is ashamed of Christ who says, Am I to believe on him that is crucified? He also is ashamed of his words, who despises the simplicity of the gospel. But of him shall the Lord be ashamed in his kingdom, in the same manner as if a master of a household should have a bad servant and be ashamed to have him. Cyril, now he strikes fear into their hearts when he says that he will descend from heaven, not in his former humility and condition, proportioned to our capacities for receiving him, but in the glory of the Father, with the angels ministering unto him. For it follows, when he shall come in his own glory and his Father's, and of the holy angels. Awful then and fatal will it be to be branded as an enemy and slothful in business when so great a judge shall descend with the armies of angels standing round him. But from this you may perceive that though he has taken to himself our flesh and blood, the Son is no less God, seeing that he promises to come in the glory of God the Father, and that angels shall minister to him as the judge of all, who was made man like unto us. Ambrose, now our Lord, while he ever raises us to look to the future reward of virtue, and teaches us how good it is to despise worldly things, so also he supports the weakness of the human mind by the present recompense. For it is a hard thing to take up the cross and expose your life to danger and your body to death, to give up what you are when you wish to be what you are not, and even the loftiest virtue seldom exchanges things present for future. The good master, then, lest any man should be broken down by despair or weariness, straightway promises that he will be seen by the faithful in these words. But I say unto you, there are some standing here who shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. Theophylact, that is, the glory in which the righteous shall be. Now he said this of his transfiguration, which was the type of the glory to come. As if he said, There are some standing here, Peter, James, and John, who shall not reach death before they have seen at the time of my transfiguration what will be the glory of those who confess me. Gregory, or by the kingdom of God in this place, is meant the present church, and some of his disciples were to live in the body up to that time when they should behold the church of God built and raised up against the glory of the world. Ambrose, if then we also wish not to fear death, let us stand where Christ is, for they only cannot taste death who are able to stand with Christ, wherein we may consider from the nature of the very word that they will not experience even the slightest perception of death who are thought worthy to obtain union with Christ. At least let us suppose that the death of the body is tasted by touch, the life of the soul preserved by possession. For here not the death of the body, but of the soul is denied. End of chapter 9, verses 18 through 27.